Hi, I'm Madeline Nichols, Managing Director of Collier's Brokerage Group in the GTA. In this retail signature series for Collier's Talks, I'm speaking with a few key experts and players in this space, including leading restaurateurs, top fashion retailers, independent businesses, even the CEO of the Business Association of one of Canada's fastest growing cities. Together, we will delve into the trends, challenges, opportunities and successes within this dynamic sector. Well, hello, I'm Madeline Nichols, Managing Director of Collier's Brokerage Group in the GTA. We're delighted to have three top Canadian restaurant leaders join us for our first Collier's Retail Signature Series. I'm joined by Jeff Fuller, CEO of Joey Restaurant Group, David Hawksworth, renowned Canadian chef and owner of Hawksworth Restaurant, Nightingale and Bell Cafe, and Michael Doyle, president of Top Table Group, Canucks Sport and Entertainment and Aquilini Group. And these are all clients of our Stephen Moscovich, our restaurant expert who joins us from our Vancouver office. So welcome and thank you for being here. So let's get started. Michael, we'll start with you. What has most surprised you about COVID and people's dining habits? And I'd be particularly interested in your experience south of the border as well. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Madeline. And uh, <clears throat> pleasure to be here today and, and talking with you on our experience and my experience with, uh, with what's happened over the last year. First and foremost, probably the biggest surprise that happened when COVID hit was um, there was no playbook for what was about to happen. And everyone asked this question, what would you do differently? And and I, I don't know if we could have been better prepared or figured out what was going to happen with with uh, what did happen. Um, I mean, I guess the last time it happened was 100 plus years ago, but uh, it's it certainly caught us by surprise that something of this magnitude would happen where everything shut down and uh we went into immediate uh reaction to how to survive and probably our biggest i would say our biggest resource was um and this is not normally the case that we share so much so much information but i would say our peers within the industry both in canada and the us were very, very um, forthcoming with information on what they were doing and how they were dealing with the crisis. And no one really knew what to do, but we all shared kind of ideas of what we thought we should be doing. And and uh, and then I don't know if you recall this, but when it did happen, none of us knew what the hell was going on. Uh, we were like, what is this COVID? And, and I think back then it was actually we're referring to coronavirus. So yeah, it was, uh, you know, Certainly caught off us off, us, off guard, and um, we, you know, we pivoted and tried to come up with creative ideas of what to do with our staff and management. But it, it certainly was uh, it blindsided us. That's for sure. And how are things going at Oceans? What's the reception yeah. been like? It certainly looks fantastic, and I can't wait for the opportunity to try it. Yeah, New York. It was interesting going through this both in New York and and in Vancouver, and I think Jeff similarly has uh, locations in the U.S. that he was actually 
I think he had some information ahead of Vancouver on on what was happening out in the U.S. But for us, um, we closed our New York restaurant a week and a half prior to our restaurants in Vancouver. And um, if, if you recall, New York got hit really hard out of the gate, like really hard. And I think Seattle did as well. And um, so we learned a lot from that. And, and then, of course, New York does everything different, right? Like the, there's just different rules and different approach. And uh, the one thing I found in New York that, that was definitely more aggressive, worked well for all of the restaurateurs in New York, is the city um, of Manhattan just like went into reaction mode and did everything they could to help. And when we did reopen for a bit it, last summer, um, it was close all the streets I mean, we had 150 seats out on, on Park Avenue and, and 19th, which normally you can't even drive down Park Avenue uh, south. And, and But we had 150 seats out there and, and we were able to make a little bit of money in a, in a time where it was, you know, in New York, they didn't allow you to actually dine inside the restaurants. It all had to be outside. And so the city was very, very accommodating. Landlords were accommodating. And I, I don't think I can say the same thing happened in Vancouver. And maybe David has some opinion on that as well. David, let's go to you. And then, Jeff, I'd, I'd love to hear what your experience has been. But, David, I know you've had a few innovations. And good Lord, the first class Air Canada, that's been turned on its head. Yeah. Uh, well, again, thank you for having me on the uh, the podcast here. And um uh, and talking about our experience and, you know, and hopefully it'll benefit for the future sort of thing. Uh, one good question about where Michael was brought up uh, made me think about like, what would we do differently when, if, and when this well, it will uh, happen again, um, you know, we've got to figure out what, what could we do different? And so it's such a big question that we, I'm, we don't have enough time to tackle that now, but been incredibly tough. We lost half of our staff, and that uh, and that, that was a huge blow. We've been able to sort of reconfigure everything um, and make it probably a little bit more efficient. So that's been kind of good. But obviously, catering came to a grinding halt. But then you you know we had to react very quickly, and so then we've gone and opened up a. Uh, we're doing a, a frozen pizza program that was kind of inspired through Nightingale, and so. Uh, yeah, Air Canada came to a halt, but you know they've been very good with us, and so they've uh, they've kept us on, and we've been tweaking some of the dishes that the that whole thing has turned upside down. The two uh, lounges that we were operating, that's you know, hopefully in June that's going to be coming back uh, uh, from the latest news. So, but uh, yeah, what a what an experience to go through, that's for sure. That's right. So you you said you lost half your staff. Um, tell me this. I know the it's been so hard to find great staff at the best of times and to keep them. And with the government subsidies, is that something that became even harder? Or was that just coupled with the fact that you also had less need for the full staff? Yeah, there's a certain mentality out there that uh, they all, uh, some people would rather stay at home and and collect uh, the money from the government. I mean, at our level, we have like we get that a little bit. And generally, I find if those if that's the type of person we're chasing or wanting to keep, then they're probably not. It's probably not worth keeping them because it's you know you want somebody really dedicated to to this. And even 
you just can't take a year off this and then come back to it. You have to be in the game the whole time. Yeah, it's super challenging uh, with that high subsidy there because there's not a lot of incentive for people to, or some people to go back to work. But we want people that are in the game and that are dedicated to this. Mm, absolutely. And uh, Jeff, I'd love to hear from you. Sure. What are you seeing? Well, uh, thanks again, Madeline and Stephen, for having me. And, uh, um, you know, uh, what I saw at the beginning was was uh, it happened so fast. Uh, although, as Michael said, in Seattle, we started to see where I think the virus was actually first spotted uh, or reported. We started to see some pretty unsettling trends in sales. And, and so, you, you know, uh, you know, down 30 percent and then down 40 percent. And I remember I was going to go to Whistler because there was no plans of traveling for spring break with my kids and i was talking to a realtor up there and and he i said is anything are you noticing anything and he was completely oblivious to the whole thing and i think i don't know seven days later whistler was shut down so it just shows how fast this came on to everybody and from a customer dining habits i remember i, I you know we because we had the seattle experience in in vancouver we started with uh, putting, uh, you know, with all the, the cleaning uh, kind of because we were getting information or that some of these things were going to come in. So we were getting ahead of all of that at the beginning. And then we put we tried putting people out front in gloves, which the reaction from customers when I look back at it is they were thinking, what are you doing? Like, why is this going on? So they weren't even ready for it. Of course, it was a big and it happened so fast that all that sort of thing actually became, um, you know, pretty ubiquitous after a while uh in a very quick pace and and i remember sitting there just kind of staring out the office window going well we're laying off 4500 people uh tomorrow and we have to make a profound decision around um we like we don't want to just lay them off we want to give them some runway to go kind of get things sorted with rent and it was a big question around whether we gave them one week or two weeks because on the other side of that, we're pondering our uh, existing beyond uh, how many months and how long is this thing going to go on. So as uh, uh, Michael and David said, the uncertainty around the whole thing was, was uh, gave rise to the odd disco sleep for at least several weeks there where you're tossing and turning. I'm sure these guys felt the same way. And uh, But on the flip side, you know, we just got busy. And once we sort of got out of the panic and uh, settled down, we just thought, you know, we can't keep all these people employed. But boy, if it, when if and when this does reopen, we got to have our core people around. As David said, it was critical. And so the, the question around that, that government piece of people getting paid, there were some people that took advantage of that. And I'm of the same ilk as David. You know, if that's the way they're kind of looking at it, we made a hiring mistake probably in the beginning. It, that being said, some people legitimately were very scared because the what the virus was, you know, being sensationalized to do at the time. And uh, so uh, it, it wasn't clear for them either, but uh, it wasn't our first question because, as you said, we had to lay off so many people. It was more about keeping our salaried management and uh, top people as best we could. And as everybody else here on the call did, shifted into a whole different mode. And uh, I was very proud of, of how the people who went from managing people to boxing up takeout uh, in a fast order, uh, they just took it on. They didn't even, they just rose to the occasion. And it uh, actually made me very, very inspired to watch. Uh, very little complaining and more about let's just get it done because they understood what was on, uh, at stake for them as well. That's such a good point that you bring up, Jeff, is I think through this time, we've really, we've seen people put under pressure and enormous stress. And to see how people have reacted to that and the ones that, as you say, have risen to the occasion and 
I can think in my own experience of so many silver linings to this pandemic. And, you know, I think something I've observed, and I, I'd love maybe, um, Michael, you can touch on this, is um, the burgeoning of um, home cooking, aspiring cooks. You know, I remember everyone was doing, first it was banana bread, then it was sourdough bread. But there's these aspiring cooks and you've got this fabulous program of top table to you. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that, Michael, and how that's been received? Yeah, so um, thanks, Madeline. And, and yeah, as Jeff said, one of the things that was quite inspiring when this happened, and I, if I'm correct, I think it was around Mar middle of March, March 19th or something, that we actually shut the restaurants down. And we pulled our management team together and said, okay, what what is it we could do? We want to keep you guys employed. We don't want to lay anyone off. What is it we can do to... to um, uh, you know, do that will help the public and help the community and, and, and keep you guys employed. And, and I, I want to say it took us about a week and a half to pull off um, the, uh, to turn this top table two around, which was basically taking our best selling items from each of the restaurants and creating a menu and, and pulling all the, the, the chefs together and, and doing it out of one area. So we decided to do it out of Eliza. And, and delivered and, and did uh, um, pick up. And it, I, I will tell you, it was inspiring. It was a lot of fun. It was, uh, it was people enjoyed it, but it is not a moneymaker. <laughs> there is, uh, there was, there was a lot, a lot of effort put into it and we had to do it right. You know, one of the biggest challenges we had is how do you take the Blue Water Cafe sable fish and, send it to someone's home and they're thinking it's blue water and if we don't do it right and make sure the ingredients are perfect and the packaging makes sense like you know so all of that was taken into account and we turned it around and it was sure it was successful but um uh it, it was a lot of work and <laughs> mm -hmm. not a lot of money um but it was it was interesting we didn't do it in new york and we didn't do it in new york because we didn't have the infrastructure that we have here um if we didn't have the team that we had and the mindset that we had here, um, it wouldn't have been as successful. And we have actually, interesting enough, we've kept it going and and we have a uh, an 18,500 seat arena that's been sitting empty for a year. And we've got more kitchen power in here than we know what to do with. And so we've, we've actually turned that around and, and worked with the, local food bank, Vancouver Food Bank, and a few other uh, charitable uh, companies. And we've actually, we're about to hit, at the end of the end of March, we're going to hit half a million meals served to the local, uh, those in need in, in Vancouver over the last 10 months. So, um, you know, we've tried to do some good along the way as well. And, and we've kept the marketplace open today. We're doing the, uh, there's an annual JCC event that, um, the, the Jewish Community Center that does a big sports dinner every year. And usually they bring in some high profile sports athletes. So we're doing a dinner tonight via talk table to you and, and sending out all the meals to everyone's homes. And they're going to do a, a virtual dinner tonight event online. And we've done a few of those with, with different charities in, in, in town. So it's been good. That's awesome. Mm. Um, Jeff, you've been doing you know, this I'm sure for you some back time over your and, career and, you know, the growth of Joey's and the, the various different brands. 
there's been things that have really stood out in your mind as being times of innovation. Do you think this is one of those times? And, you know, what do you think's next in terms of innovation and, and perhaps something on the horizon for you? Yeah, I think uh, we were, innovation was a matter of survival, as everybody said, and it wasn't a matter of shifting gears and all of a sudden your bottom line's the same as Michael alluded to. It was more like tread water and see how long you can make the runway because, uh, you know, nobody knew and, and who knew it was going to be, we're, we're into it for a year now, like who had any idea, right? So so it, it forced innovation around some pretty, I guess, similar uh, paths and that is around, you know, take-home kits. Uh, there are some good sort of things that happened in, in Canada with being able to deliver liquor and uh, create some revenue that way. And so, and then how do you package it? I agree with Michael. We spent so much time innovating and, and reanalyzing all our takeout. Uh, so we, you get a few wins out of that where that stuff will be great in the future because you're trying to figure out the best way for something we were doing. But when you get to be doing it as 100% of your business, you can focus all your energy at it. In our office, you know, we, we ended up, you know, furloughing 30% of the people. And the ones that stuck around, you know, we weren't building any stores at that time. So we had, you know, like a, an unbelievable CAD drawing individual that slipped into marketing and, and, and became an actual DoorDash expert as well. So they were sharing things like that. That kind of innovation really happened as well. And so, yeah, I think it's been, a, you know, around uh, IT and just focusing in on um, amalgamating these different delivery options and making the customer experience online takes a lot of brain power and finding developers right now isn't the easiest thing because uh the other side of that business if you look at amazon and stuff has just gone through the roof so so those were those types of challenges and being innovative around how to stay in touch with all your staff and try not to lose as many of them as possible they're waiting in the sidelines so uh, yeah we were forced into it and so there'll be some good things on the other side that we take out of this just around how we look at the data as well of, of that particular business mode and how we look at how uh, we build future patios, uh, you know, in some, in some places, patios were the only business and we have some that are year round. And I can tell you, we'll probably be leaning a little harder towards that whole uh, piece uh, in the future. And then innovation is going to definitely happen around how we look at leases with, with landlords and, and sharing burdens, such as when you're forced to shut your restaurant, but you've got a contract on the other end to, to uh, pay rent. So, all those types of things, uh, you know, and I have a notebook that's full from all our operations calls and, and also some board meetings that we do that I have to decipher through <laughs> just because it'll be just interesting to read through and, and, and watch the ebbs and flows of what was going on and try and take out the, the good stuff. Mm, yeah, yeah, very well said, Jeff. And David, you've You've been um, able to be so nimble, uh, capitalizing on different trends and getting yourself into the right place at the right time. What's next for you, do you think? Well, we're looking at, uh, I mean, this is the kind of time to hopefully open, some, like uh, to look at something else and try to, to try and push that through. So I, I think where the landlords right now might be in a position that they want to make, make a deal and might be a little bit more human in the uh the approach hopefully one would uh hope you know i i don't want to get into a another deal where the uh the landlord says you know you know the government subsidy is uh going to give 50 percent and uh, you'll pay 25 percent and that 25 percent haircut the, the landlord is going to take 
you're we're going to take that out of your deposit. And uh, that that's a little eye opening. Um, in my opinion, not so Canadian, not the right thing to do. And I've got two of those situations going on right now. It's rather uncomfortable. It's not a lot of money, you know, but it's it's just the point. You know, greed is a very um, tricky thing to deal with. Well, I think that we're going to see a lot of changes. I can um, speak from the brokerage side. We've had lots of talk here about COVID clauses going into leases, and we've crafted all manner of them. Um, that mm-hmm. and we have yet to find a landlord that will sign off on them. But um, needless to say, I think that is definitely going to be the way forward because it has to be. Um, there's going to be more of um, a kind of sharing in the downsides and also the upsides in all likelihood. Um, but perhaps that's the way it should be trending anyway. And uh, we all know that COVID's been a great accelerator and maybe that's one of the ways it, it's going to push lease negotiations. Mm-hmm. Stephen. You've had the privilege of, you know, dealing with some of the top, top restaurants um, in Western Canada and also across the country with their expansions. What are some of the things you've seen in terms of um, what's really worked um, for different brands and um, some of the things we can look forward to? Well, sort of like the rest of everybody has said, is this kind of, you know, we got T-Bone going through the intersection and um, we weren't prepared for that and that people had to be nimble and innovative. Um, and it just uh, going through this is the, the groups with a strong balance sheet uh, going into this are now gonna be able to see the, um, the opportunities coming out of it. And similarly, if you asked me this question six months ago, um, landlords were still in sort of this position of strength. And, um, but now it's really around, um, they're being significantly more flexible we're looking at, you know, uh, TIs that we've never seen before. Um, just landlords prepared to help if you have, um, you know, a covenant and operational strength like the three people we're talking to today. It provides them greater leverage. Yeah, that's wonderful. Well, I want to take this moment to truly thank you um, for sharing your insights, uh, Michael, David, Jeff and yourself as well, Stephen. Um, This has just been a pleasure for me. On behalf of all of us at Colliers, uh, we hope that you will tune in again soon. And thank you to the three of you for truly and continuing to lead. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, Madeline. Thanks, Madeline. Thanks, everybody, for joining. Thanks for listening to Colliers Talks podcast. To learn more about Colliers Canada, our experts, and our solutions, visit collierscanada.com or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook.